looks like we got a lot of people out tonight. Um, I said last night, or last, last Wednesday, be careful staying in this class. It's dangerous. Uh, and I guess some people took my advice. <laughs> so here we are. Um, let, let's go to, to God in prayer before we begin tonight. Our good God, our, our King, we praise you and thank you uh, that you have kept us through the cold. Uh, God, we know that there are many uh, who are not as fortunate as us, uh, that did not have uh, the shelters that they needed. Um, but God, we, we know uh, that you have given us this world, the sufferings therein, that we may trust in you and not in ourselves. And we're so thankful, God, uh, that uh, we, we are where we are today by your grace. We're so thankful uh, for this uh, time that we have to feast upon your word and upon the life of your son and help us to take uh, his life uh, into our own and to uh, emulate him in the world. It's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay, um, we left off. Go ahead and turn back over to 2 Corinthians and the um, fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians 4, is where we left off. Anybody need a book coming in? Good. Okay, we got one. Um, you get the coverless look. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, we, were, we left off 2 Corinthians in the fourth chapter. And the thing that I wanted us to, uh, again, just quickly revisit is this concept of what evangelism is. We said it at the beginning of this class. We're going to say it many times. 2 Corinthians 4, 11 and 12. Somebody read that loudly. Who's got that? I do. Go ahead, Fred. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our moral flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Okay, so we are always um, delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Well, that's not true. You're talking about literally. Uh, there were some times where they were close, but what he's talking about is that he's given over of himself, and so death is working in us, but life in you. And we could say, well, that's nice for the Apostle Paul, not so much for me. Keep going, though, in chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all die. Congratulations, if you're sitting in here tonight, you're dead. Well, we're done alive in Christ. Yes, you are. But you died to yourself, and look at verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The death that is working in us is life to the world. Another way of saying that is, we die so that others may live. Uh, so... We're going to revisit this question, but I do have a question for you. Do you have one person right now that you're dying for, that you're laying down your life so that they might live? We'll come back to that um, toward uh, the end of class. 
All right, I told you we're going to be on page eight and page nine, so that's where we'll start. Um, there's a little t a corner uh, piece there at the top that says whose job is it. We'll revisit. We'll have a whole class on that on page 12. And then on the bottom right corner, we're not going to talk about that, but that's a great quote to think about as well. But let's start there in the middle. It says, we should begin with the most basic of concepts. So let's ask a few questions. First one, why am I here on earth? For what purpose do I exist? For what purpose do I exist? Open the floor. Serve God and serve others. What's another, another take on that? Agree? Another way of saying that that you had in mind? Live for God, live for Jesus. Okay. Live for God, worship. worship. I mean, that's, that's what God wants for us. Okay. He wants yes. Right, right. He wants adoration, worship from, from us. <coughs> to think about. Yeah. Um, and I think this is going to connect to this. Well, I want you to think about um, the Garden of Eden. What did we have with God in the garden? Fellowship. Perfect fellowship. We hadn't done wrong. He walked with us. We were among him. He was among us. And then we threw all that away. And ever since the garden, God is wanting to restore that fellowship with us. So why am I here? Why does he keep sending souls to earth to prepare us for the fellowship ahead. He wants us to have fellowship with him eventually in heaven. We are working toward that and being prepared for that um, to return to Eden where the tree of life is in Revelation, right? That's where we want to go and be with God where God dwells with us. Now, if that's the, if that's the goal, which I think it, it connects with everything that's said, if that's the goal to get back to God, why don't, when we baptize somebody, why doesn't God just suck them up right into heaven? If that's the goal, like what he wants us to be with him. So why don't he just take us before we, you know, fall away or mess it up? Because he uses us against others to heal. Yeah, that's right. And to, to bring about his kingdom. That's right. We bring that. into that fellowship. He doesn't just want me. He wants to use me for his purposes in this world. So the second question, very simple question, am I, am I, am I my own person or do I belong with someone else? Right? Obvious. We belong to God. Uh, he dictates our priorities. Um, remember Romans 6 says you were a slave to sin and then you became a slave to Righteousness. You, you, you didn't become, you gave me free in Christ, but you're a slave to Christ. And what he wants, you don't belong to yourself. He dictates your priorities. You just have this borrowed flesh as this vehicle to use for his glory. Um, and then you're going to give it back to him. And so uh, he orders my life. And so to whom do I belong? God, right? I am his servant, his slave. Um, so then... 2 Timothy 2, I want you to turn there with me. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. 
If you're an eater beaver and you already filled this out, sorry to not tell you ahead of time. This is New King James Version. It's the right version. Um, whatever, whatever version is fine. But um, this, is, this is the version that I'm using with, uh, with these blanks. So in case you're wondering, well, that's not what mine says. Um, 2 Timothy 2 says that we would do well to remember, perhaps even commit this memory, this passage to memory. Um, wow. I want, I want to read this and then um, ask what, what, what stood out to you about being a servant of the Lord? Okay, what is it? I'm going to read this. I want you to think about what was something in this text that stood out to you as being a servant of the Lord. That's why he starts, a servant of the Lord must. So what, what in a servant of the Lord, what kind of person do we need to be? It says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. What do you notice about being a servant of the Lord? What do you need? Gentleness, patience, humility. Okay, all right. We got, we got a three over here from, um, from Mr. Rusty. Uh, gentleness, um, patience, humility, um, which... Are we in a war spiritually? Yes. Okay. But my version says in verse 24, the, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, which that word is fight. Are we in a war? Yes. But how is our attitude? Is it combative that we're trying to fight people? Who are we fighting? Who's the servant of the Lord fighting in the text? Sorry? Satan. Yeah, yeah. If you're fighting against people in the world, who are we really fighting against? What would we call those people in uh, war terms? No, those people are not in. They're POWs. They're prisoners of war. They're captives. We don't wage war against the captives. We wage war against the captives. And we're trying to convince them to teach them patiently with humility. Yes, we're going to correct them, it says. But all of that with the attitude that we would hopefully bring them to repentance. Um, the people that are ensnared and controlled by the devil, I don't mean that mystically. I just mean the world that they live in. Did they usually know it? Do they usually go, yeah, you know, I'm a prisoner of the devil. That's how I live. No. We've got to try to help them come to their senses that the way you're living is exactly a prisoner. You are a slave to sin, Romans uh, 5 and 6. And that sin reigns in your life. And it's not doing you any favors. And so we've got to convince people to see where they really are, not battle against them. Our war is against the spiritual forces of darkness in this world, Ephesians 6. And so, um, any other comments on um, 24 through 26? Or questions? I'll tell you, 
Whenever I head into a hard conversation, and I would suggest you do the same, I read this. Because I've got to be patient. I've got to be gentle. And I've got to be praying that they would come to their senses. I don't need to go in there with, with axes and swords. I need to be patient with them and try to help them see where they are. Yep. It's kind of like when uh, Moses died and the devil wanted uh, Moses' body and I believe it was Gabriel that said the Lord rebuke you. Michael, yep. Yep. The Lord rebuke you. As in, um, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't speak evil of the devil, but he says the Lord will uh, rebuke you. Um, which is interesting. We, there's a lot we can talk about with that, Fred. Um, but but it's, it's the idea of seeing really what's going on in this world. We're not talking about um, usually. Now, there's some people who are like, hey, I'll say, oh, okay. They, they probably don't even know what that means. But most people don't realize really how much grasp he has in their life. All right. Um, take that to heart. Uh, that has been such an incredible verse for me to not quarrel, but to teach and be patient. All right, look at uh, Luke 15. Luke 15 is where we're going to be uh, for the, the rest of the, the evening. So if I had to rank uh, passages um, of most life-changing to me for evangelism, I would say last week was second. That was super helpful for me once I worked through some of those ideas. This will be the number one. This, this passage has really, really helped me. And so I just want to share some things. Um, some of these things are original. Some of these things I've borrowed from mentors uh, in this. And so uh, I want to share this with you. All right, Luke 15, 1 through 3. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, Who were the tax collectors in Jesus' day? What does that mean? I mean, we know what it means. They collect tax. Don't be smart. They, but what, what does that really mean? They work for Rome, collecting uh, taxes from the Jews. Yeah, and were they uh, good and honest guys or girls? Or mostly probably guys, but no, no. Uh, they had to, the whole system was corrupt, and they had to take off the top. If you've seen um, Robin Hood, the Disney movie, that's the guy. He's the tax collector that goes around. Um, and so they had tax collectors that were with Jesus, and then also uh, sinners. Now, everybody sins. So what is this talking about? Just, just a general person? No okay, there were times, yes, where uh, in, in, this, in this particular story, it doesn't say that, but yes, there were times, and they would have definitely been sinners, known sinners, okay? This is what, have you ever heard somebody say, uh, you know, they're um, uh, spiritual but not religious and that kind of thing? This is what they would have called a Jew who was Jewish but, you know, liked a little baker. Jewish but, you know, enjoyed the weekend. If you get to my, my drift. Love to do some things on the Sabbath. 
they were uh, they were ethnic Jews, but they they practiced a life of, of whatever they wanted. They, they didn't obey the laws, and so those were the sinners of the people, and they kind of had their own crew uh, from the people who were really trying to do what's right. And so, what did they want from Jesus? They wanted to hear him. Yeah. Says they drew near to hear him. Yeah. Is that about the ones that didn't they weren't really practicing Jews? Yeah, verse one. Uh, tax collectors and sinners. Says all the tax collectors and sinners. But they didn't want to hear him necessarily. They wanted to fight with quarreling. Well, I'm just telling you what the text says. Yeah, in this story, it says that they wanted to hear him. Um, but let me ask you the question, is that, is that our experience? Why not? Why is it not our experience? People are too busy. Okay. Don't have time for it right now. Don't have time for it. Okay, lots of distractions, right, and priorities. Yep. I also believe that people don't recognize us as the source. Okay, it's possible. Yeah, they don't recognize us as the source. Don't be reading my notes ahead of time. Yeah. But yes, yes. Um, you know, sin will, sin will kill us all if not taken care of by the blood of Jesus. It, it will kill us all. And, and what Jesus actually teaches and what we see in the, in the Gospels you remember the parable of the two sons that the first one heard, but he didn't go? Who was that in the parable? That was the religious. The ones who said, no, no thanks, they actually came. That's Matthew 21, by the way, if you look at that later. And the ones who actually came, it says that tax collectors and harlots will get into the kingdom before you. So actually, the pattern that you see in the Gospels is that the religious are the ones that usually say, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm saved. You ever, you ever heard anybody say that? Hey, I go to that church. I'm good. I don't want to talk about that. Um, and so that, that has happened uh, in Jesus' day. But here it says that they came, drew near to hear him. How did Jesus draw them? By being Jesus. Okay. Elaborate more. Teaching truth. The word. Talk to everybody. Um, uh, 
and a lot of the crowds would say, he teaches with authority not as the scribes. He teaches differently. You know, they always reference things. He just teaches uh, the truth from God's word. Um, do you think, even, even some of the things you said, which I agree with, um, that the signs and different things drew people, I agree with that, but do you think that those signs would have went very far if he acted like he was holier than everybody else? Or if he acted like the Jews <laughs> yes. Yes. If anybody on earth could act more holy than that, it was Jesus. The distance between him and the next person, as far as holiness, is it's incomprehensible. But he treats these people as his children. He loves them cares about them as the servant of the Lord we talked about. Um, so that's a huge question that I want you to wrestle with. Is that me? Do I draw people? When I'm in a restaurant, do I draw people? Do people see something different in me? I'm not talking about I did good works. I'm talking about the way I treat them. That I value them. Now, what does it mean in verse 2? Their complaint. Pharisees and scribes complain, saying, This man receives sinners. What does the word receive mean? Welcome. The word's often used in the New Testament as admit, welcome, allow in. Back to our parable last week. Remember the shack that they wanted outside? Let's get them cleaned up before they come in. Is that the way that Jesus handled people? Well, you're, you're a little too sinful for me. So, get right, and then we'll eat together. Is that the way he handled people? No. Is that the way that sometimes we can be? We're too good. We're too holy to be around any of that. That's challenging. Why eat with them? Why don't you just say, I'm glad y'all have come to hear me preach. I'll preach to you. Why eat with them? Okay, everybody was lost. Well, I think there were some faithful, but in this particular situation, faithful Jews. This is a Jewish covenant. So, I mean, there were some, but there's always a small amount. Not, there's not a lot. Um, but he commends some people. Um, but why would he eat with them? You don't have to eat with them. It's just teach them. I'm sorry? I don't feel well. The, the Pharisees got the point. They knew exactly what the point was. They had a problem with it. You're acting like you approve of them. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, you fellowship with them. We would never eat with them. They have a problem with that. Now, I don't think that's the point. I don't think Jesus is saying, I want to eat with you to show you that I approve of you. But what happens around a table, a dinner table? Yes, you get to know each other. 
You forge relationships. You people open up. You talk to people. You don't talk down to them. You talk around the table to them. This is Jesus humbling himself. He didn't have to sit with us, any of us, but he did. And if you think about this, I'm going to make a side point for the ladies here because I think ladies struggle with this a little bit more because men are just pigs. But, but, but think about the most memorable times that you had around the table with somebody in your life, a family member, a friend. How clean was that house? You don't remember a thing about the house. That's not what it's about. So give ourselves a pass on everything needs to be perfect when we sit around a table. Jesus sat around a table with sinners and worthless tax collectors in that society that were hated. He sat around a table with them. Martha was worrying about that. Yes, she was. And then asked Jesus, can't you get married to help me? Right. <laughs> um, all right. So this, we oftentimes in the next couple parables talk a lot about sheep, but I want us to think more about why he told these parables. Now that we have the setting, why did he tell these parables? Look at 4 through 7 when he responds to them, their complaints about him eating with these lost, um, with these tax collectors. Um, who's got that? 4 through 7. Go ahead, Barry. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Hey, he speaks this parable to them. They are the shepherds of Israel at this time, the leaders of the people. Ezekiel and Jeremiah both talk about this, that one day God's going to wipe them out, and I'll be their shepherd. So he tells a story about a shepherd. Is he trying to really focus on sheep, or is he trying to get them to see the shepherd? And that's the question for me in this text. Do I have the heart of the shepherd? Is my mind like God's? So look at this. Where is the effort of the shepherd in that, that parable? On the lost. On the safe or the endangered? The endangered, the lost. His mind is on them. Lost people, and this is this is what I hope you, you glean from this for yourself. Lost people are a priority. If they're a priority to the Father, Shepherd, and they're definitely a priority to us. We want his heart. Am I matching this picture? Um, what what word do you see over and over again? Um, in that text. Rejoice or joy. It's like an eruption in heaven that when one sinner comes back, one sinner repents. It's almost like heaven's waiting. When's it going to happen next? Now, again, 
do I match heaven when a brother or sister is baptized? Am I rejoicing greatly as heaven would? Do our conversations here reflect that we're so excited as heaven and shepherd would be? Are we getting together? There's this feast. Are we getting together with our new brother and sister and celebrating when the incredible thing that God has done for you? Let's do that. Let's make that an important emphasis that we want to match what heaven sees in us. But look at, do um, uh, you have any comments for down to seven before we go to extent? Or questions? Yes, sir. You touched on it a little bit, but I think one of the other reasons um, Jesus sat to eat with them is to emphasize the fact that there's no one who's unworthy of hearing the gospel, hearing the truth. Right. Um, and, I mean, like I said, you touched on that a little bit, but our preconceptions preconceived notions that we have for other people, for the way they live, for the way they look, for the way they act, um, can get in the way of the fact that of us seeing the fact that they are worthy mm -hmm. as we are of, mm -hmm. of hearing that. The pushback for this, Barrett, is that, you know, evil company corrupts good morals. So, if you spend any time with the, these sinners out here, you might get corrupted. Is that the context of that passage anyway? It's not, it's not false teaching. But if you do, I mean, if, you, if you're trying to recover from marijuana, then don't go hang around people who smoke marijuana. Like if, you're, if you're becoming overcome, then, then, don't, then don't put yourself in that situation. But we're taught to overcome evil with good. That's what we're taught to do in Romans 12. That's what we must do. And we must teach and share and love. Um, it's not a passive thing, but it's also not a comfortable thing. Um, who is sitting at our table? Thank you for reminding us that, that everybody deserves an opportunity. Um, eight, 8 through 10. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors to get together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. How does this parable show us how Christ sees? What does he see? What's, what's the emphasis in this one? Is it just a random old sheep? Value. Yes, importance and value in one soul. She searches carefully, and then the eruption, the celebration. I'm going to just repeat what was said about this from a mentor of mine, because it, it was strong, and it hurt. He said everybody's got a list. Everybody keeps a list people that aren't really worth that much to you. We need to have value. We need to take people off that list. That they're worth me talking to them about the Lord. That I can just, just 
just tune them out and, and just go out throughout my, my years and not say anything to them, that shows they're not worth anything. But hopefully, we'll continue to take people off that list because we have showed how much value they have in our hearts. Um, that, was, that was helpful for me. And I'll just tell you too, um, if you have ever had the joy of being in some role, in some part, small in any way, of helping bring someone to the Lord, you know exactly what I'm talking about with joy and how incredible that feeling is that you played some part in helping with God uh, in their life. Um, there is no more fulfilling thing in this life than that. So, yep. Can I get the money that you're going to leave me? 
and see you later. And then they went out to Vegas and now they're homeless. How would you feel about that? <coughs> You're pretty upset about how they hurt your parents, right? I'm like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing with your life? Get your life right. What are you doing? Um, but how does the father feel? In the parable. Rejoicing. Well, not uh, before that. Yeah, before that he wasn't very happy. Anguish is what I would say. Look what he says in, um, in um, well, where are we at here? Yes, we are in Luke. Wow, I can't find the verse. But he says he was dead. He's dead to me. And I don't think he's dead to me like what we say. I think, I think I've lost my son. Right. So how does this verse relate to one and two? Verse one and two. How does this how does this relate back to that? What is Jesus what is Jesus doing around those tables? He's sitting with his children. You don't care about them Pharisees because they don't mean anything to you. But they're my children. When people, when we see them as our brothers and sisters that have left the Lord in their life, they'll mean something different to us than just, ah, they're just that, that, that one squandered away, one spinning on harlots, as the older brother would say. When we take it personal, and that's Jesus to the personal. And so we need to do the same for those who are in the world and who are slaves of the devil. How does that brother respond in the parable? Just like the Pharisees. He's got problems because he's done, he's always been in the father's house. I've never gone anywhere. And he never gave me anything. You know, um, this is played out in Matthew 23 when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. They travel land and sea to do what? Remember? Convert one proselyte. We're going to go everywhere in the world. They were the first missionaries. We're going to find one Jew, and what is, we're going to make somebody a Jew. And what did Jesus say they were going to do to him? Make him twice the son of hell that you are. They would go all over the world to try to find somebody that would convert to Judaism, but right here in their back door, I would never talk to you. That, that, that's this attitude here that we must avoid. But even how does the father respond to the oldest son? He goes out to him too. He goes and pleads with him too. And Jesus does that over and over again, trying to teach them. The eldest son is looking for justice. He wants whatever that son, the younger son did, he needs it returned back to him. Do we really want justice? I'm asking, do we here? Do we really want justice? Well, we hope not. We would love to have mercy on the day of judgment. Not justice. Justice, we will all perish. If we have mercy and grace, then we'll survive. I've never transgressed. You know, he's exalted himself. Did God save us because we're good? Now, nobody's ever said, I don't need forgiveness this week. We talked about that in the sermon. But the other reason we don't rejoice is because we don't know them. We don't know the struggles that they had. We've not shared in those things and heard those things. In 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about such were some of you. Remember that list? 
of adulterers and fornicators and drunkards and homosexuals that were making up that church. A rough bunch. But if we've isolated ourselves so much, then we can't feel. We can't have compassion. Again, a person that could have isolated himself more than anybody would have Jesus. He's way holier. Didn't. So, do I want to be friends of tax collectors and sinners? That's my question for you tonight. Do you want to be that? That's what Jesus was called. A friend. He received them. He drew them to himself. That's the challenge before us. But that's changed my life in thinking about that. How do I treat people in the world? I want to be like Jesus, and I want them to come to me. And I want them to see that I will be their friend. And I'll try to help them. I can. Look at uh, page uh, one real quick. I'm going to make a final announcement here. Page three, actually. I want you to think of one person. One person in your life. Not somebody that you've tried with recently to talk with uh, about spiritual things. I'm not saying that you tried to baptize them. I just mean try to talk with them about something spiritual. Try, try to think about somebody in your life that you can write in that name blank. And we'll work through that. What I want to do eventually, and what we've done in these, when I've taught this class in a couple other churches, is that we share in our work together. This will not be recorded, that part. Um, pray for this person. This is, this is what's going on. Um, and, uh, and we could pray about that particularly and share in God's work together. Uh, so that's, that's the hope that we'll do. Um, so think of somebody. You don't have to volunteer that name in, in here if you don't want, but I still want you to, to go along with us and, and be praying for the people and praying for that person as well. So thank you all so much.